You can have the most talented people on your team, but when people can't get on the same page, even talented people will have a hard time succeeding. That's why communication is a superpower for leaders and scalable businesses. Today, we're exploring communication in an agency, how to streamline it and make it efficient. If you want an inside peek at how this agency owner hires the right people and solves miscommunication so that he can have more time in creativity instead of project management, tune in. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hey, Nick, communications is one of my favorite topics. I have a master's degree in communications focused on organizational development, and we get to explore communications today in the context of team efficiency. Love it. Before we dive in, tell us about your agency. So Suits and Sandals is a, it's a bit of a hybrid agency. We consider ourselves both a communications and UX consulting firm and a creative agency. Uh, So we help our clients understand their communications and experience design landscapes through research and workshops. And along the way, we uncover insights and opportunities that allow us to recommend and develop strategies that can, you know, impact the way our clients do business. Um, And then we use all this knowledge to produce creative solutions, such as, you know, visual identities, websites, web apps, and content that are tailored to the specific goals, challenges, and audiences of their brands. Our work spans lots of different industries and client sizes. Uh, We've worked with large multinational corporations, mid-market companies, startups, and nonprofit organizations in fields like healthcare, fintech, SaaS, D2C e-commerce, automotive, and even climate change. You've got a great origin story about how you and your partners started. Tell us more. Yeah, sure. So uh, we started about 10 years ago, uh, initially just as a web design studio. I started the agency with my co-founder, Miles Rojas, who's our chief creative officer uh, back in college, actually. Um, We were both freelancing in web design and decided to start just like tag teaming projects, basically. Um, And we quickly realized that we worked really well together. Um, So we ended up formalizing the business and took on a third partner, uh, Zach Brady, who became our CTO. Nick, when we spoke, and this was off the podcast interview that we're doing right now, you told me a really cool story about you being in school and the project that actually catalyzed you into owning an agency. I'd love for you to share more about that. Uh, Yeah. So basically, Miles and I, you know, we're planning on going into a a pitch for our, um, you know, first like big client, basically. It was 
one that was a lot bigger than a lot of the previous clients that we had worked on. And so going into it, um, we were a little bit concerned that we might not win the project um, because we, you know, we're thinking to ourselves like, man, we're just two kids in college. I don't know if we'll, you know, if we're really going to be taken seriously. Um, And so we pretty much decided at that point, why don't we just present ourselves as if we were a company? Um, Let's come up with a name. Let's come up with a logo and we will just go into it and see how we do. And and that's when, you know, we came up with suits and sandals. Uh, We came up with our first, you know, logo design. We sort of thought about what is it that we would want to kind of communicate to a client about our agency. You know, we the, the idea behind suits and sandals was that we wanted to have really sort of high-end professional work, but not take ourselves too seriously. It was all very sort of like surface level stuff uh, just to get us in the door. And then we ended up actually winning that client. And immediately after that, we realized, you know, that's, there, there's really something here. That's kind of when we decided that like, it's, it's more than just uh, freelance gigs uh, for us going forward. But at the time, I don't think we were really thinking about it, you know, from a long t- long-term perspective. You know, we were just sort of like, hey, let's, let's just make a company. Um, like I said, very, very sort of surface level. Um, and it wasn't for, for a little while that we realized that there's actually like some long-term staying power and it's not just something to to do on the side in college. Here you are 10 years later and what your agency looks like now is of course different than a decade ago. Along the way, there have been key challenges that you've had to solve to grow your business. Mm-hmm. One of those is communication between team members and figuring out how to make things more efficient. Tell us about the challenge. So as we were scaling up our team and managing more and more concurrent projects, we found that there were sort of knowledge gaps between the disciplines that, you know, can become a huge problem. So, you know, this could look like a designer that creates a design, which isn't technically feasible, or maybe the design wasn't clear to the development team. So a feature wasn't built in the way that the designer envisioned. And then passing feedback between the team for making changes or revisions can get really confusing and inefficient because the designer and developer don't use the same terminology, or they might have different perspectives. And it can make the whole process take much longer or cause production quality to suffer in some way. And I think that this has been something that just, you know, over the years, we've had a lot of experience with. And it's really something that we've had, you know, spent a lot of time thinking about uh, how to optimize for that. In any service-based business, bringing specialists who speak a different technical language together and getting them on the same page is the backbone of efficiency. How did you solve that challenge? Yeah. So there's a couple of different things that we've implemented over the years that have really helped with this. Um, one, it really comes down to hiring the right people. So our team building strategy is around people that are very T-shaped. And, you know, what T-shaped refers to is that they have a sort of wide um, kind of base of knowledge in different things and much more deep expertise in one or two things, right? So for people that are developers, having a background in design really helps. And then for the designers, knowing both, you know, brand identity design as well as UX design is also really helpful. And then from there, once you have people that have that base of, you know, knowing lots of different things and, you know, being experts in one or two areas, then cross training to make sure that everyone's kind of speaking the same language 
is also really helpful. So, you know, our designers learn the terminology and the sort of fundamental principles of how development works. And then similarly, you know, we make sure that the developers also really understand design from that perspective, from that design perspective as well. It's interesting that you call it a T-shape. So when you're hiring, I'm visualizing that you're looking for someone who has depth as a specialist. The vertical line represents depth in the T. The horizontal line on the T represents breadth over other disciplines in marketing. When the two lines intersect, it's the right hire for you because it makes cross-training more efficient. Yeah, it's really, really uh, useful if, you, if you're sort of evaluating you know, a new hire and you're thinking about like, what do they bring to the table in terms of the expertise we're hiring them for, but what else do they know and how much does that cross over in other areas of the business? You know, even if they're never going to work in those areas, at least they have sort of common language that they can use to uh, understand people and their perspectives from totally different areas. Let's talk more about cross-training. Cross-training benefits the client because the work is more strategic when you have different brains aligned and it generates better communication. It's time well spent. So tell us more about how you cross-train your team. Yeah. So a lot of it came down to spending a bunch of time internally kind of workshopping with the leadership team. Uh, you know, what's our process like? What are the tools that people use? What are, you know, some of the, the, the words that people need to know and the concepts that people need to know and really like understanding at a sort of benchmark, how much does everyone in the team, you know, all the people on the design team, all the people on the development team, how much do they have like as a baseline of knowledge and where are the gaps? And, and once we started to develop an understanding around those gaps, then it came down to a couple of different pieces uh, to put into place. Um, one is using the right technologies, specifically collaboration software. So, you know, a lot of people know of like uh, Asana or Monday.com or, you know, whatever. We use something called teamwork uh, that just works really well for us. And being able to have a, a really great line of communication between the team, like makes it possible for people to, to knowledge share essentially. Uh, but then there's also a, a level of sort of having the right resources internally that as people develop this understanding, they then have somewhere to look for the information. Um, so that way it's not just locked up in someone's brain, right? Like if, if somebody is responsible for building a CMS and, and there's another person that's responsible for designing the front end, they need to be able to have some place that they can both look for information about you know, what the features and functionality are supposed to be and all that. So um, we started creating like co-created documentation. So for example, CMS structure planning, a designer content strategist would actually be involved in documenting what are all of the fields that are needed in the CMS. So that way the developer can actually build it and get it right. Uh, so by having that documentation co-developed, everybody's on the same page. The documents you're referring to that are co-created, to clarify, you're referring to per a project. They're often per project, but you know we also have things that are templatized that have a lot of information already in them. And then you pull them into a project and you customize it, right? Um, so like feature lists and things like that, you, you know, you can kind of take it from a starting point and then, and then make some changes to it. You have standard operating procedures supported by templates and swipe files. The templates and swipe files are customizable resources and capture variables. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the work that we also do is in translating between design and development. So like we 
started training our design team to build developer-friendly style guides. Every time we, you know, create an, a new, uh, you know, website or some other project where we're designing UI, taking that design and going from whole, you know, page comps for every single view in the app or wherever, you know, whatever, taking that and then breaking it down into all the components and elements and everything that the developers will need in order to actually build the front end and laying it out in a way with all the information that the developers need in terms of like, you know, sizing and spacing and color values and all those other things. Uh, so that way they can actually take that information and, you know, without having to decipher it themselves, all of the all of the values are determined for them. They're able to move forward in the development process in a way that's really, really efficient. That actually also makes it so way the designers understand development better because they know what all the values need to be. They know all of the things that the developers are looking for and and they can design in a way that satisfies those needs. I think that there's a difference between productivity and efficiency. Good systems and processes support being productive and efficient without removing the human element of creativity. Of course, processes outline the step-by-step. And if we were just productive, it would mean getting through the steps as fast as possible. But that doesn't make the work efficient. Efficient is about eliminating or at least reducing the miscommunication that can happen so that creative people can spend more time being creative. How are you making that happen in your agency? Most importantly, I think, is consolidating information and defining a single source of truth. So what that means is, let's say, for example, in in the design process, you have to create wireframes. And then you have to create actual page designs. And then you have your content, like text content that goes on the site. Then there's the actual plan for the content management system, you know, the, the written documentation for that and the, uh, the actual code itself, right? So there's all of these different places where information lives. And what you need to be able to do in order for everything to move efficiently is make sure that there is one place, a single source of truth. So if, if something changes, that change is reflected in a way that everybody can see it, that there's no chance that you might be looking at the wrong document that is out of date, right? And so we use tools that will actually allow us to sort of collapse the design and planning and you know content creation and development process into as few tools as possible. So that way we're able to kind of like create one single source of truth for the uh, user experience and the information architecture and the CMS plan and all of that all in one place. And, and, you know, anytime we need to make a change, we make a change there and everybody can look at that one place instead of having to look into like five different places. You've done a lot of work in building a business that is internally strong. How has that translated to client results? Yeah. So the, the ability to work more efficiently, of course, means that anything that we work on for our clients is going to be more efficient as a result. The the fact that we can collaborate more effectively internally means that when we engage in a project for a client, they're going to get a result that's just higher quality. But interestingly, we're also finding that we're able to apply a lot of these ideas for the types of communication resources we use and the types of workflow techniques that we use. We're able to actually apply these to the work that we do for our clients 
by basically offering them new perspectives and and even kind of teaching them or training them how to use some of these tools or techniques or whatever. So for example, maybe there's some internal misalignment on how to communicate about the client's brand or their uh, value propositions. Sometimes we'll go into um, you know some kickoff exercises with a client. We'll ask, if I was to ask every person on your team what your brand is all about or you know what the elevator pitch is, would I get the same answer from everyone or a bunch of different answers? And, and a lot of times we'll hear that you know everybody has their own ideas or um, you know there's yeah some level of misalignment. And so uh, you know what we've started to do uh, with a lot of our clients is actually help them to create internal use communication strategies. It's a documentation of what are the you know sort of standard operating procedures that need to be in your strategy for communicating about your company to your external audiences. And and that's, I think, been uh, something that has been really, really helpful for for our clients and and also made it so that way they better understand their own brand, making it a lot easier for them to sort of expand that brand or or solve a lot of the challenges that they've uh, that they've had. Did you know that I have a free team growth roadmap? Imagine if you didn't spend all day, every day in the weeds of running your business. That can mean more flexibility, more freedom, less overwhelm. I created the team growth roadmap to help my clients gain direction on the strategic systems and leadership actions for a streamlined business and a self-managing team to grow your business. Inside the roadmap, I share my compass method, an acronym for each step of the roadmap to get you out of the weeds of running your business and help you have a small but mighty team that gives you more freedom and flexibility. You can get all the details over at AudreyJoyQuan.com. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. All the changes you have made internally were inspired by an event you shared with me that happened in your business a few years ago. The event challenged you to look at your team structure differently. It really has been a a development, uh, like a process of development since almost the beginning uh, of the business, right? So having developers and designers in the same team, having to have them work together, that's always going to come with some level of you know need for making sure that everyone's on the same page. But actually in uh, 2019, our CTO uh, ended up uh, leaving the agency, had a, a bit of a career change, decided to, to go into another field. And you know when our CTO left the agency, we made the decision to view the designers and the developers as all part of one big team as opposed to two separate siloed teams. So the developers basically continued to operate with the same responsibilities, but with a bit more autonomy on technical decisions and um, also reporting to the same person as, as the design team. You know, since our team is already super interdisciplinary between this whole like cross training and having, you know, making sure that everybody's kind of on the same page in that way, um, we sort of looked at this as the next step in the evolution of how we approach digital production overall. And, you know, even though we've done a ton of work to reduce the friction in the bridge between design and development, the actual management of a development team did really become difficult without a leader that specializes in understanding the needs and extremely technical details of the engineering process and the people that, you know, make it happen. I mean, we we had really great developers, but they weren't 
getting the support that they needed. And we also didn't always know the right questions to ask to make sure projects were going in the right direction or what risks to plan for. So, you know, we really had to spend a lot more time managing around these challenges than we anticipated, which ultimately did mean that we had, you know, less capacity for working on other areas of the business like innovation or growth, but it made sure that because of the fact that we had these, you know, two different kind of counterpoints that they were working as efficiently together as possible. Instead of the traditional structure of departments, you moved into a pod agency model with small teams of individuals who have complementary skills who then form a unit and own a project. Arriving at this decision was a big change. Yeah. I mean, ultimately we came to a crossroads. We we basically knew that we either needed to uh, hire technical leadership or take the path of continuing to focus on the creative side of the business uh, since that is what, you know, the remaining leaders of the business really like knew and understood. And this decision point actually also came during the pandemic. So not only were we evaluating how we should deal with all these internal changes and what kind of company we wanted to be, but we also had to think about how to keep the company running during a really tough time. And, you know, as leaders, like I was saying, Miles and I, we were really committed to the positioning that we had been developing over the last few years as an agency that's all about branding and storytelling and creating experiences. But we also knew that technology is an incredibly important part of the work that we do. And we really didn't want to lose that. So as we were restructuring, we knew we had to find a solution that allowed us to continue to create smart technology, but in a way that breaks down the barriers between design and development and bridges all those knowledge gaps. Not only did you restructure your team, but you also revisited how you delivered your services. Tell me more. So in the process of the restructure, um, we basically started to try to find alternative solutions to having internal development resources. And so we tried out lots of different ways to approach development, including working with freelancers and development agencies. And, you know, relying on development partners solved for a lot of the problems, but it also introduced new ones as well. Like we were able to reduce overhead, but we still needed to spend more time than we'd like on project management and quality assurance. And project turnaround times were often way quicker, but Sometimes they would actually take longer. Communication delays could end up meaning that we didn't have an immediate answer if a client asked a question. So, you know, there were lots of bumps in the road there. But really, the game changer for us was when we started making the switch to no-code and low-code platforms for development. Uh, just a, as a side note, no-code and low-code refers to platforms that allow developers to actually build without writing very much, if any, code at all. And um, rather than writing code out by hand, everything is designed through an interface and the code basically just writes itself. Most of the time, people tend to just default to calling this whole category no code. Um, but most of these platforms actually do make it possible to write as much custom code as you want. In the past, no code was pretty limited in terms of what you could do with it. But over the past few years, platforms like Webflow, Airtable, Zapier, Weblocks, and others have really expanded the domain of no code and low code development to the point where nearly anything on the web is possible. When we make significant changes like that, it can be nerve wracking. We start to think about how clients will receive that change or if they will receive it at all. How did you implement these changes with your clients? The transition 
it wasn't abrupt, right? So we had some clients that we were working on projects that were still, you know, full front and back end development. We had other clients that were actually approaching us that were saying, hey, we want to build on Webflow. So, you know, for the clients that came to us looking for no code solutions, obviously it was a really, really easy fit. And then we had other clients where, you know, at a certain point we were kind of um, internally discussing, should we recommend to them to go with a no-code solution or should we just stick with the way that we you know, typically develop? And over time, it's kind of been this sort of you know, slow transition where now we're bringing no-code to the table much more often and we're positioning it against other options. So you know, we're not saying we're going to build it this way. Instead, we'll say, um, here are three different options. One of them is no-code. One of them is, you know... Uh, some other CMS like WordPress or something like that. And we give them the option to choose, but we show kind of the pros and cons and the benefits and and all that kind of stuff. And we're finding that more and more of our clients are actually seeing that these types of no-code systems are just as easy to use. They're not as limited as they might have thought. And so they're a little bit more accepting and a little bit more excited by by going in this direction. There's so much to be said about the power of educating clients. Education isn't about forcing how you do something onto how your clients should do things. Instead, it's about showcasing the pros and cons and empowering the client to make the right choice for themselves. Yeah, definitely. We tend to include a lot of client education throughout our process either way. So, and the other uh, kind of big aspect to uh, our approach to, you know, just client services in general is we have a a mantra, uh, no surprises. So we make it very clear at every stage of the process, what the different options are. We give a lot of room for feedback and collaboration. And so this is just kind of one of those things that it's already, you know, been part of our DNA to approach it from that perspective. So, you know, just adding one more thing to uh, to talk about and have the client involved in that decision-making process was pretty uh, seamless for us. Before we wrap up here, can I ask you, what keeps you inspired and at your best? Yeah, you know, so I think going back to that philosophy of T-shaped individuals, to me, it's it's like a something I think about a lot. It's really important to keep your mind open for opportunities for cross-pollination. So, you know, I have ADHD, which can often be a big challenge. Um, But one of the really interesting things about ADHD is that we are predisposed to make more creative connections between ideas and concepts from different parts of our experience, right? So I tend to always want to be learning new things. And, you know, that's part of my professional work, but it's also something that I do in my free time, learning about science or cooking or language and psychology or whatever. And for me, I think just by spending as much time as I can learning new things, I'm always finding new sources of inspiration. I think you just need to have keep your mind open to, to making those connections and they'll come to you. Thank you, Nick, for such an insightful conversation. You have a podcast called Work Association. We're going to link that in the show notes along with your website so our listeners know where to find you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan. 